You're tuned in to Down to Earth with Associate Professor Kurt Iverson and Alex Pye. Brought to you by 42 Below. They're keeping our planet pure to keep their vodka pure. One harebrained eco-friendly scheme after another. Be on the lookout in Sydney bars for their eco-soap made from recycled cocktail lemons. Head to facebook.com slash 42 below for the full story. Proud sponsor of FBI Radio. And that signifies that it is time for Down to Earth. It's my fortnightly conversation with Professor Kurt Iverson when he drops in every couple of weeks. And we chat about Sydney and we've sort of approached it from almost every angle. You never really know where the segment's going to go. Oh, it's too much fun. Yeah, it was great talking to your mate Lisa about sustainable fashion a couple of weeks ago when she came in. But we're in the now and uh, we've, you know, a lot's happened in the last 24 hours. Literally in the last, this time yesterday I was in tears announcing on air that that we had the yes vote. And so since then a lot of analysis has been rolling out and we thought we could have a conversation just about how the yes and no's sit based on sort of... um yeah, geography. geography. I mean, this is another one of those things it's a where passion the, of yours, exactly geography. where the the links might not be obvious, but there's a there's actually a really strong kind of and complex relationship between like sexuality, sexual politics, and urban environments. So I figured, given that there's been all this discussion I about the survey, there's been a lot of study into this. There we has probably touch upon some. There as has we go. exactly. So yeah, so I figured we could get into doing a little bit of geographical analysis of this survey and its results, and then maybe use that as a launching pad for a bit of a wider conversation about uh, the city and sexual cultures and sexuality. And yeah, it's really interesting stuff. So starting at its most broadest, um, Australia uh, overwhelmingly, the majority of mm-hmm. us all voted yes. We did. So 61% of us voted yes across the country. But you start breaking this down geographically and you start to see some pretty interesting variations, right? So in New South Wales, we were a bit lower than the average. 57.8% of us here in New South Wales voted yes. And we were the lowest state in Australia. And there's been quite a bit of discussion about this and about why it might be so. Um, But if you break that geography down even further... Um, you can see that actually that average in New South Wales was dragged down a bit, if you like, for the yes vote by the fact that there were a few electorates, particularly a few electorates um, in the west of Sydney, that posted majority no votes. So, And of course it is worth, say, worth saying that the, 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 the density of the entire population does sit within our state. So that's going to have right. some push and pull yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's right. So they're big electorates, some of these things. Um, and yeah, it does really have an influence. So, yeah, it's sort of something that I think is worth us breaking down a bit, I reckon. All right, so let's get into some of these electorates and compare some of these. Yeah, well, I figured just for the purposes of our conversation for the next few minutes, we could compare four particular electorates. So there's one called Sydney, which is the basically the central business district, Surrey Hills, Paddington, that kind of thing. And then next to that, we have Graindler, which is your Marrickville, Dulwich Hill, Hurlston Park, that kind of area, bit of Newtown. Mm-hmm. So those two seats, overwhelmingly, as you could probably predict, yes votes. Um, in the city of Sydney, in fact, I think it posted one of the highest yes votes, if not the highest in the country, 83%, yes. Um, and Graindler not far behind at 79 point something or other, basically, you know, 80%. But right next to Graindler is a seat called Watson. Which is what, divided by a road? Yeah, so we're yeah pretty you, much. You, I'm you from one side of Canterbury Road to the other, right? Mm. Um, and I'm... I'm in Watson, it's where I live right now, um, and 
Watson takes in Canterbury, Ashbury, a bit of Croydon Park, a bit of Campsie. Southwest, Belmore. but it's yeah, still quite so close to the Heading southwest, along the Bankstown line, effectively, yep. right? Bits of Bankstown. Now, um, Watson returned a no vote of nearly 70%. So right next to each other, we've got two electorates, one that's voting yes, 80%, and one that's voting yes, 30%. Uh, and then next to Watson, we've got Blacksland, uh, which takes in a bit of Bankstown, Yaguna, Chester Hill, Granville, Auburn. So that is more west yep, rather yep. than Yeah, so southwest. further west again, mm. that's right. Um, and a no vote there of around 74%. Okay. So some big differences going on um, just between if you take a kind of almost a straight line from Sydney through Grandler and Watson and Blacksland and you can see these big differences. All right, so what are... I mean, what's the reason that you can skip the ro- over the road into a new electorate and have a yeah. swing of almost the same amount, but voting no instead of I voting know. yes? And so, listen, there's going to be heaps of discussion about this and all sorts of different theories. But you heard it first here. Oh, well, that's right. We're going to break down a few of them right here if we can. The, now, the one, I think, cheap and easy thing to do is to go and have a look at the census results for these different electorates and see whether there's any factors that we can say, well, there's different populations here and so does that explain why they voted differently? But I think the trouble with that, and we're starting to see people do that a fair bit at the moment, the trouble with that is that it confuses correlation with causation. So we know that there's differences between these different electorates, but that doesn't necessarily explain anything. It just says that there's a potential relationship that needs to be explained. But to take a few examples, um, if you look at um, the percentage of people with bachelor's degrees across those four electorates. Um, Sydney and Grandler both have more than 40% of their population with bachelor's degrees. Um, Blacksland and Watson, more like 20%. So yes, okay, you can say maybe there's a correlation between higher education and different votes here. Religion is another obvious difference between these electorates. So again, Sydney and Grandler, over 40% of the population in both those electorates reported no religion in the last census. in Blacksland and Watson, 13% and 15% respectively. So um, less people reporting no religion in those electorates. So maybe religion's got something to do with it. Um, You're making it very easy to sort of um, say, all right, well, we've got one group of people on one side of the fence and one group of people on the other side of the fence. That's right. But then you can pick some other factors and things get much more complicated. So, for instance, Sydney, as we said, posted the highest yes vote. Of those four electorates, it also has the lowest proportion of people born in Australia. So it has the highest migrant population of all four electorates um, and also the highest yes vote. So there's no So easy... I can't jump the gun and say that if you're born overseas, chances are you voted no. No, no. Because that's just blown that out that. of the water. That's, that's, that's yep. just blown it out of the water. And then, you know, the other thing that you can do with the census, just to make my point about how it's, you've got to be really careful about these explanations, is to say, well, also, um, we could have a look and see that actually... Uh, you know, in Sydney and Grandler, over 35% of people catch public transport to work. Um, and in Blackson and Watson, 20% do. So maybe there's a relationship between people using public transport and people voting yes and no. You know, and that's kind of nonsense, right? It's nonsensical. But you can see how it's just, that's another factor that's different between them. Income is different between them. So there's all these factors that are different between those electorates. And it's kind of like, does any one of them shapes the no vote more. That's, you've kind of just given to... me a realisation that when I read articles and they say based on census data, it's yeah. not necessarily based on fact. You can sort of push and 
Pick yeah, and pull what yeah, you want. You can out of pick it. and pick and choose what you want here. So if you want religion to be an explanation, you can find it in the census data. But as I say, if you want public transport to be your explanation, you could find that too. Equally as powerfully in the stats, right? So we've just got to be careful. And I think the other thing um, that, you know, I've been reading, for example, would suggest that actually it's got nothing to do with demographics or maybe only a little bit to do with demographics. Maybe it's got more to do with the infrastructures of the no and the yes campaigns and where they place their energies, where they place their efforts. Um, they know, would have been targeting well, that's, different suburbs for different reasons. That's right, yeah. yeah. So there's been some analysis in the papers, for example, about maybe the yes campaign was focused on the areas of the city where it thought it could would have a vote lockdown and their key concern was about getting turnout. Um, so, so really an encouragement on, on the yes campaign to get those yes votes back in the post rather yep, than forgetting to yep, do it. Yep. yep. And so focus maybe on inner urban areas, maybe more than on the suburbs, etc. Like who knows, you know. So I think there's going to have to be much more analysis. But it, yeah, it may well be more to do with the nature of the campaigns um, than anything to do with the you know, particular demographic characteristics of the area. Who knows? We need to do a bit more research. Yes, we well, uh, we're not much closer now. We've only really given it five minutes of, of, <laughs> of talk. Yeah. But it just, you know, just take it with a grain of salt. And it's also where you read your analysis is also going to have its own view on, yeah, on things as well. exactly. And I think the thing that we really want to be careful of here um, is that, you know, Western Sydney, just to be frank, is just copying crap all the time um, for its this, that, and the other. And, you know, Dallas Rogers, who's one of my colleagues and mates down at Uni of Sydney who teaches planning there, has just written a piece in the ABC yesterday, actually, sort of saying, well, listen, we want to be really careful in particular that um, we don't basically say that Western Sydney voted no um, and that the no vote is kind of located out there somewhere. Because we always talk about Western Sydney in the mainstream press in Sydney as being out there, as though... Because it seems like the positionality mm. of the journos is usually what they perceive to be in here, um, i.e. in the inner city. So it's kind of like well, there no, are people voting yes and no all over the country well, in different exactly. proportions. I mean, we started off by talking about um, Sydney and Graindler having around 80% or more voting yes. It still mm -hmm. just means one in five people voted no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th th those yes votes and no votes are definitely unevenly distributed, but we don't want then then say kind of like, well, therefore... Everybody in the inner city is just totally down with, you know, same-sex marriage and, you know, breaking down the kind of heterosexual norm and mm. everybody in the western suburbs is trying to hang on to it. That's like, you know, rubbish, really. Um, we've got to be a bit more sophisticated than that in our analysis. And, you know, this is the, as you know, I geek out on this sort of geography and even distribution of stuff. Well, um, we're going to come back and talk a bit more about the city specifically and, um, well... Uh, a chat about different places in the city. What can make an area more queer friendly than others? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good good excuse for us to sort of broaden out the conversation and to think about not just marriage, but like sexuality more generally and its relationship to the urban environment. Sexuality in the city is what we are approaching today on Down to Earth, our fortnightly conversation on sustainability with Professor Kurt Iverson. So we've been looking at some of the results from the census, looking at this sort of breakdown of people in different suburbs, uh, also... Um or electorates, I should say, and also looking at how those electorates voted and, and just sort of being like, well, it's really hard to draw conclusions yeah. on, I mean, on why people vote where. Exactly. Mm. Important differences, but let's not jump to conclusions about where they're coming from and how they've happened. Yeah. Research, which is what an academic would say, right? <laughs> 
So typical. Uneven survey results are a reflection that some parts of the city are more queer-friendly than others. Well, listen, yeah. I mean, I think... And so that's the thing. On the one hand, we don't want to jump to, you know, bad explanations about the differences. But on the other hand, I think the fact that those survey results are uneven probably does reflect something that we would sort of know in our bones, right? Which is that, you know, the experience of being in different parts of the city... um, you know, they do have kind of different vibes and different atmospheres. And I, the- I do know from experience that mm. the, um, you know, the electorates of Sydney and Graindler who did get those big um, big swings for the yes do contain sort of what we know and love as some of the, 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 the gay ghetto kind of areas yeah. in the inner city. So Paddington and, and Darlinghurst mm-hmm. and, and Newtown, yeah, where there's a lot more visibility. Yeah, that's right. And so I guess the key point for us to get into now is that you know, in a way that I suppose um, this whole debate about marriage and the Marriage Act has been about one of our kind of, you know, key institutions in our social life, which is marriage. Sacred. Yep. Sacred. Oh, good yep. grief. That's right. Um, and that it kind of, you know, tends to sort of normalize one way of mm. being in love um, and one kind of relationship and present that as the quote unquote normal. Well, it took about 0.3 seconds approximately for the debate to just go from marriage equality into whether homosexuality was right or wrong. Right, exactly. Um, And so, you know, that's an institution that the whole debate has been about whether it should privilege heterosexuality over other kinds of um, Mm. relationships. And, you know, we've just decided by majority that no, it shouldn't. Now we wait for the politicians to do something about it. But if you push that idea out into space, actually our urban environments can have the same effect, right? That the way that spaces are designed, the way that they're policed, um, and the kind of atmospheres that their people create in different spaces can actually also have that same effect, right, of like reinforcing heterosexuality, say, as the kind of dominant mode of uh, being together, um, a dominant form of sexuality, and kind of, you know, marginalise or stigmatise other kinds of sexuality. Cool. Do you um, reckon you could talk me through some yeah, kind well, of examples look, of this? I mean, I guess, yeah, there's, there's a few different ways we could think about it. So just a really, you know, basic way to think about it would even be just to talk about the experience that people have, you know, with just really everyday displays of affection, right? Which is to say that there are many parts of a city like Sydney where a heterosexual couple can walk around and hold hands um, and hug um, and it'll just be kind Without of... Without some homos driving past yelling out, straighties. Yeah, right. And making you them know, feel uncomfortable. Right. Yep. And it's and it's sort of... Be, it's kind of almost invisible because it's mm. just treated to be the norm. Yeah. And then, as you say, two people of the same gender doing exactly the same thing can attract all sorts of hate and screaming and, you know... Yeah, just... I mean, at the very least, just like stares. Right, yeah. Just looks mm. um, that are just kind of like, whoa... You know, and so that just is one example of how, yeah, the way that our spaces are kind of policed, not just by police in uniform, but by, you know, the people that are in those spaces can kind of reinforce things. And then, you know, you think about all sorts of, there's been amazing research, for example, just even about the design of homes and the way that they kind of reinforce a kind of, you know, conventional family structures and the way that, you know, people who are living... What do you mean, like how um, architects... Map out the space? Yep, yep. So, again, just look at the design of a house and the way that the bedrooms are arranged and the way that there's, you know, this whole concept of a master bedroom and blah, 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 um, that there's just this sense in which even that can sort of, again, not just reinforce 
heterosexuality, but reinforce a sort of norm around family structure mm. um, and how that ought to work um, by designing for it, right? And that therefore, if you're trying to live outside of that structure in some sort of way, like all those folks out there, you know, who've struggled to figure out a way to arrange a share house in a space that's been designed for a kind of normative family structure. And yeah, it's like just who's going to pay triple for the yep, master yep, bedroom? Exactly. All that kind of craziness, right? So all those things can work to sort of reinforce and police sexuality. But as you say, the flip side of that is that um, for those who are sort of trying to politicise those issues, for those who are trying to, as it were, live outside of the things that are deemed to be normal, we've also seen how incredibly important cities have been historically as spaces where you can kind of basically, you know, be yourself um, in some neighbourhoods where that sort of dense accretion of like sexual public sexual cultures that aren't just about straight heterosexuality have managed to sort of get a foothold in places, as you say, like... And so why in some places over others? Yeah, do we well, need that... to get back, Do we need to go back to the ABS and start to look at some... Well, again, it's just one of those funny things that it's just, you know, you can look at cities, like, and there's been all sorts of great studies about cities like, you know, Manchester and San Francisco and New York and Sydney where just certain neighbourhoods where, you know small group of businesses get a bit of a foothold maybe because rents are cheap but there's that kind of infrastructure the social infrastructure of bars and stuff that you know can be used as kind of socializing spaces and then gradually as you know you just get to that point of sort of critical mass right where Mm. it becomes a pole of attraction for other people um, who are you know wanting to explore their um, attraction and sexuality and think well actually okay there's a bit of a scene here and this is where the club nights are happening or whatever it happens to be uh, and so you know critical mass happens and it sort of just sort of builds that um, like yeah what we would what we should be talking about is a kind of public sex culture right which is that you know all sexuality whether it's heterosexuality or uh, anything else are sort of reinforced by all these public infrastructures that support them and so yeah queer culture is no exception to that it needs a kind of public infrastructure right like to kind of sustain it um and so it's just all that hard work of building those services and recreational spaces and blah 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 and then suddenly you just got a part of town that's like awesome in that sort of way and we can uh link this back just to just to end on a bit of a down note about yeah. how some of these areas again are threatened by redevelopment and yeah. gentrification and so that's right so there's been we've had a few honor students in geography over the last few years at um at sydney uni do some studies about this right about how actually those spaces that have been incredibly important for queer culture in sydney um, think of your Oxford streets and even think of your sort of, you know, Erskinevilles and Newtowns that are now becoming increasingly inhospitable um, to some folks because rents are rising. And if you're, you know, not on a gigantic professional high income, um, you know, it can be that you're sort of being priced out of the kind of queer culture in some of those places. And so Steph Clark, for example, a couple of years ago did a great thesis about the kind of DIY queer nights and spaces that are popping up around the place in Sydney, sort of outside of those neighbourhoods, just because the rents are cheaper and, you know, people can sort of afford to be there in has been a mo- There has been a movement in sort of queer culture, I've noticed over the past decade, to spaces out of the inner city mm-hmm. and more likely to be in the inner west and Marrickville area because, yeah. um, I mean, even that's changing now yeah. too, and these spaces are becoming less accessible. Um, as we talked about weeks ago with the rezoning of yeah, certain um, right. warehouse precincts for, exactly. for development... But you get into these hubs just outside the city where rent is cheaper and people can set up venues, such as one great example is the Red Rattler that was set up years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
things are always in, in shift. Yeah, and things are always in flux. And this is the other thing, again, as you say, to just link it back to the conversation about the survey results, that on the one hand, you can kind of look at those just incredibly awesome results in Sydney and Grandler and think, well, 80%, 70% people voting yes, but actually what the economy is doing there to queer culture is making it more and more hard to, to stay uh, and pushing folks out. So we just sort of, again, want to think about how all these things interact um, and think about what we can be doing, that if those parts of the city are really important um, for those communities, that we can actually find ways of keeping them hospitable and possible for queer culture and queer community and not having all that stuff kind of pushed out um, by crazy development pressures. Kurt, thank you. Amazing. And just... Hmm. I feel like we need to give a thumbs up to people studying geography because I had no idea just how broad oh, I know. it can be. It's too awesome. When I look back at studying geography in year nine and trying to work out how to read um, topographic maps, there's so much more to it than <laughs> uh, that. I know, I know. As much as we love our topographic maps, that's right. We're going to be doing all sorts of other stuff too. It's cool. Professor Kurt Iveson, it's been great having you in. Sounds like you've got a busy day. You've also got to teach on top of it. Um, I don't envy you and we'll catch you in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, Thanks. I look forward to it. Thanks, Alex. Cheers. You've been listening to Down to Earth with Associate Professor Kurt Iverson and Alex Pye. Brought to you by 42 Below. They're keeping our planet pure to keep their vodka pure. One hair-brained, eco-friendly scheme after another. Be on the lookout in Sydney bars for their eco-soap made from recycled cocktail lemons. Head to facebook.com slash 42 Below for the full story. Proud sponsor of FBI Radio. This was produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. FBIRadio.com. Radio.com.